You're listening to the Elevate Your Brand podcast, where we talk to some of the smartest entrepreneurs and fastest growing brands on the market today. I'm your host, Laurel Mintz, a reformed corporate M&A attorney who founded award-winning LA-based marketing agency, Elevate My Brand. We've elevated some of the world's biggest brands from Facebook, Paw Patrol, and Verizon to innovative startups you haven't even heard of yet. Are you ready to elevate your brand? Keep listening. Hi, guys, and welcome back to another episode of Elevate Your Brand. I, of course, am your host, Laurel Mintz, and I am joined today by Brian McMahon, CEO of Expert Dojo. Brian, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Great to be here and to chat about all things startup marketing and wonderfulness. I mean, you are the expert in that world. So share with us what Expert Dojo is and a little bit about your origin story. So we are a early stage accelerator. And what that means is that we invest checks of approximately $100,000 into early stage companies. Uh, We'll take those companies normally at a stage when they're just at product fit. Maybe they've launched their product to the market. And the objective is that by putting $100,000 into those companies, it gives them the fuel that they need to be able to really build their company to levels that they possibly would have struggled with beforehand. And then that goes on and we help them with their marketing and we help them with their branding and we help them with their investors that will come on afterwards. And then the objective is that if we do a wonderful job and they do a wonderful job, then in 10, 12 years time, they're sitting as an Airbnb or an Uber or some other wonderful billion dollar company because (laughs) they've managed to get to where they want to go. And then we're all very happy. That's the way, that's the happy story, right? Yeah. (laughs) They don't always end up there. (laughs) Yes. Although I heard a new one lately that is um, actually people are not calling themselves unicorns. They want to be called stallions because unicorns are fictional and stallions are are real. Do you hear that one yet? So I just think that the types of folks that have got that much time on their hands (laughs) that they can spend wondering what people call them when they haven't even got there yet. God bless them. They're going to have a wonderful life. They're probably not going to achieve anything ever, but they're going to come up with some great <laughs> names for their lack of a, lack of success. I love it. It's one of the reasons I like you so much, Brian. You're no BS. You're just straight up, let's get this shit done. It's like, who cares? Money. You have a billion dollars in your bank. Who cares? You're rich <laughs> beyond your wildest dreams. You've successfully created something that's like a 0001%. You know what I really find with people like that? They don't say anything. There's there's three right. types of people in this world for me. There's the types of people who are good, honest, hardworking people who just do their best and they try and make whatever whatever skills life gives them and whatever bad luck and good luck like life life gives them, they just make the best of it, right? And those people mm-hmm. go through life. And then you get people that build we'll call them unicorns, but really billion dollar companies, companies that create so much wealth that there are generation changers, not money changers or life changers, generation changers for two, three, four generations in the future. Those people, generally speaking, 
do not go out and buy Ferraris. They do not tell people what they should be called. Most of them don't even speak on panels or anything else. They wear flip-flops and Bermuda shorts because they don't <laughs> want the world to know how insanely wealthy they are because they know it messes up their lives when they do that. Now, then there's right. this other huge group of people. And these are people who have achieved absolutely nothing in their lives. Most of them are life coaches, are business coaches, are people who actually help other people succeed because they have no idea how to do it themselves. These are the people who buy the Porsches, the Ferraris, the gold watches, and they spend their entire day obsessing about whether it should be a stallion or a unicorn. Anyway, what, 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 do, what do I know, right? And I, I'm not opinionated at all. Oh, I love it. I love it. It's, it's, it's so true, though. Like those that have this like outward bravado are not typically the ones that are really nose down doing the work. They're really all about the bravado, which, you know, for me, I have an interesting take on because marketing is a lot about bravado. Um, but at the end of the day, you have to have a great product or service. So you got to be able to back it up with something, right? Can't but you, you help them build, like you do something. So, and, and I hope we do too, right? As investors, we invest money in the company. So we put skin in the game. And what we're saying is, look, we believe so much in your success that we're going to take our money and we're going to put it into your company so it's going to be stronger. You do exactly the same thing. You say to companies, look, you have a great product and you have a great market that you can go into, but until you're making the return on your product that you need to make, you don't have anything. So right. we're prepared to put our good name behind this and go out to the market and find the best places that we can position you so that you can make the kind of money that you deserve to. And you know, and the only reason, by the way, I'm giving just life coaches and, 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 and folks <laughs> like that a hard time now is not, I'm not hating on anyone. I never do, but I just, I don't know if you've been on Clubhouse recently. I have, yes. Who, who hasn't been? You've got to be under a rock to not be on that platform these days, right? You know, and it started so nicely and they came out with great people doing good conversations and they even still have some awesome conversations like Elon Musk coming up the other yeah, day and everything. Recently. But you know what I'm noticing more and more on the platform? There's now more and more rooms opening up with how to make, how to become a, a millionaire in just two hours a week work and this kind of stuff. Mm. I'm saying, come on guys, really? <laughs> this isn't easy. None of this stuff is easy. It's really, really, really hard. And the more people that make it sound easy, I just think it's a, uh... anyway, I'm ruining the interview. No, <laughs> not at all. I love, you're making my job easy. I could just let you talk for hours. Anyway, I could just listen to you for hours. So this is all good in my book. But to your point, I think this is a really good time to talk about you know, kind of the best practices and what you're seeing trend-wise with uh, with startups and entrepreneurs. You know, what are some of the tips and tricks that you're seeing out there? Not even tricks, but like, what are some of the best practices in um, starting a business now? Because you see these companies very, very early stage. You've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. Share some of those stories with us. So this is the time. If If in branding, the time of authenticity kicked in maybe seven, eight years ago, when brands to really hit the new audiences, you know, back, back then it was like uh, the Gen Z or the Y Gens. And then to hit those audiences, they really needed to show an authentic side of them. It wasn't just good enough to say, I'm going to sell you X and you're going to mm -hmm. like it because I did a smart ad. Like they almost had to get vulnerable. With startups, we're in the days of traction. So mm -hmm. previously startups, even especially the, the pre-revenue ones and the ones just kicking off could just say, I have a dream and it's a wonderful dream and we're going to build this incredible thing. <laughs> and, and they meant it sincerely, right? I have such tremendous respect for every startup in the world, by the way, because 
anybody who goes out there and sets out on this impossible mission for me is a beast in, in the very best mm -hmm. way. But previously, you could go to an investor and say, you know, I have this dream. We're going to take the startup. This is what's going to happen. The audience are going to love us. The crowd's going to love us. Our consumers are going to love us. And we're going to become huge and we're going to blow up. And investors would say, wow, that's a great story. We'll do it. And what happened maybe just pre-COVID and definitely during COVID was there was there was this hangover, which everybody woke up from. And the, and the investors are thinking, oh my gosh, like we can only invest in stuff where we can see that the consumers are validating the product today. Right. So traction became king, queen, and everything else. And I those call it king, queen, and the Duke of York. <laughs> and the Duke of York gets in there too. Yeah, sure. Why not? Right. And then so so and that's and so traction is everything now. And those startups, and which is music to our ears, because we've the types of the companies that we invest in are very much the antithesis of what you would expect Silicon Valley companies to look like. Like they are not blonde-haired, blue-eyed boys who went to Harvard or MIT and then have got their company gifted to them by Sequoia who gives them a hundred million dollar check <laughs> just because daddy happens to go to play golf with them. Right. So right. our founders are, you know, black and brown and Irish and female and just all of these incredible, brilliant entrepreneurs who are breaking through, but would not necessarily be noticed by the Silicon Valley community in the very early mm. stages. And we love mm -hmm. that because that gives us an angle to go ahead with. So like, for example, we just invested in two female, two black female entrepreneurs out of Africa, one out of South Africa, one out of Nigeria, both unbelievably awesome entrepreneurs, both in the fintech space, both in deep data analysis, both no brainers. If they were in Silicon Valley and they were guys and they'd gone to the right school and they knew the right people, they would be valued at $40 million on day one. But wow. because of where they are, who they are and their gender, their valuation is an eighth of that. And that's even if they can get investment in the first place. Right. So we, we, we've learned, I'll, I'll kind of finally encapsulate this in one comment. We've learned through our entire time here that, with, and I mean starting up an accelerator, investing in our first 80 companies, having the next 80 companies that we're about to invest in, that there is unbelievable unfairness and bias in this early stage venture capital game that we play. And because of that, women, founders of color, minorities, immigrants, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all get effed and nobody yeah. gets to play the game. But here's the great news. The great news is that no matter how unfair or how unjust this world is, there is one rule that trumps all others. And that is that bias will always, always, always be overcome by FOMO and greed. Every <laughs> single biased person on the planet has a number where they will invest in absolutely anyone. And I don't care what the differences were before. For some people, the number is, yeah, do $50,000 a month and we know you're going to be great. For other people, it's mm -hmm. 100,000. Other people, it's 500,000. Other people, it's a million. Who knows? So our search for entrepreneurs, rather than being trying to find, you know, people who've got good products and and um, are potentially great and all those things normally Silicon Valley we look for, we just look for beasts that can build incredible traction. I love it. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, but I want to come back to that traction conversation. So stay tuned. You know, I am all about supporting women-owned companies and Tea Drops is a really good one. They are a bagless tea company. How cool is that? 
Not only are they super green, but they are USDA organic, fair trade, and American made. Check them out at My Tea Drop on Instagram or go to their website, myteadrop.com and use code ELEVATE15 for 15% off your first order. Thanks for sticking with us. And if you're just tuning in, I am chatting with uh, Brian McMahon, who is the CEO of Expert Dojo, which is an early stage accelerator located here in Los Angeles, although you have reached globally at this point. We were talking a little bit before the break about diversity and even before that about traction. And my comment to that was just that because we are now in this world of traction, it's actually better for everyone. I guess the question is, is it better for everyone? Because when you have traction, wouldn't your valuation be better? Or is that, do they not necessarily go hand in hand? So so traction, traction is important for those folks that don't get it easy. So what we have to understand is that 90% of all venture capitalists are either investment bankers or Ivy League, right? So Mm -hmm. because of that, 90% of all of the people that they invest in our investment bankers, our Ivy League. And because of that, these rules do not apply to those people. This is why Clubhouse is a billion-dollar company within nine months. I mean, Clubhouse right. has no revenue model, no anything whatsoever. Yeah, it is no monetization, the only reason, Yeah, the only reason all these people have come on the platform is because Andreessen, uh, you know, our, our, I mean, his wife's having having dinner parties on there, you know, and, and and Ben is on the platform. So, but none of these things are a bad thing. It's just part of the collusion of the system. So mm. if the larger VCs decide that company X are going to be worth a billion dollars, what this has proven is that in a nine month period, they can do it if they want to. All they have to right. do is say, mm, hang on a second, it's Tuesday. Let's value the company at a hundred million and we give them 10 million. And then two months later, they say, oh, it's Thursday. Let's value them at a billion and we'll give them a hundred million dollars. So, so those rules that I just told you about don't apply to them. We give me a hundred million dollars and I think I could build some traction on a platform. I'm talking about everybody else, the 99% of people that will never, ever, ever have a chance of building a billion dollar company. For those people, the truth has come home to roost. And all of the, I mean, I call them lies, but they're not they're not intentionally lies, right. but all of the mistruths that they had before, such as you can build it and you can be anything and you can do it. Everybody's now realized that's not true. And actually mm. you need to build something incredible yourself and you can't just spend all of your time out in the streets begging investors for money because they're not going to give it to you. So go build. So this is a time of go build. So is this good? Yeah, I think this might be the only thing that saves entrepreneurship in America. We're, in, we're now at such peril of terrible application. Like if Clubhouse is the very best that we have to offer <laughs> as a nation for the technology that we bring to the world, it is a We're sad, trouble. sad day yeah. in America. Yeah. So why? where does your background that you feel so strongly about invest, investing in diverse companies and specifically in early stage? Give us a little bit of your background. So I will say this is a monetary decision. You know, this is not Brian waking up in the morning and saying, you know, I really care about women and I really care about men and I really care about Irish guys and black guys and everybody. Like, it's not like this is this is a question of common sense, first of all. If the world was truly equal and we looked for the very greatest people, it's a better world. We make more money this way. The Mm -hmm. fact that it's been collusive and small for too long has merely given us an advantage. 
because we would never be able to compete in that space. And look, I'm an Irish guy initially. I came from a nice family. I didn't have an amazingly rich life and I didn't have an amazingly poor life. I was brought up really well. I had no trauma. Everything was fine. But it doesn't mean that I don't recognize unbelievably incredible people in the world who are just destined to do amazing things and who are being held down because the system is so unfair. And and, and also, this is what's super interesting. And I think also maybe what's given me the context is I've lived in 40 or 50 countries and wow. I've just known a lot of people through my life. Um, I also have always worked really hard. I've always believed that there's no quick shortcuts to making money. You should totally do it the true. hard way and you should make sure you build and you build greatness. And if you do that, you're, and you know this you, with your agency, like your customers will love you forever and they'll tell everybody else about it. So I'm, I've always been on this obsessive search for incredible folks. I think the the difference right now is that we are in this incredibly beautiful time that I truly thought would never come. There was actually, there were three times I thought would never happen. The first thing was, I never thought money, fiat money would be democratized. Mm. And I, even when crypto first came in, and even the people with crypto abused it with the ICOs and everything they did and greed almost destroyed it there. And then I thought, well, if that doesn't destroy it, the large corporations will destroy it. And I thought, if that doesn't destroy it, the government will. And somehow crypto won. Right. And mm-hmm. it broke through. And I don't mean the price of Bitcoin. I don't care about that. I'm talking about the potential to have a deregula- deregulated currency or a decentralized currency whereby the currency is not manipulated by the few to serve the few. It's a beautiful concept. So I thought that would never happen. The second thing that I thought would never happen, and I still kind of think it'll never happen, is that healthcare will become for the many. And we'll finally come up with a system whereby it doesn't bankrupt people as soon as they get sick, right? Because we have a the, the situation with healthcare in the world, but especially here in the States, is just a tragedy. So I know we don't have a fix for that yet, but it's still on my bucket list for a fix. But the final thing is what happened with regards to Wall Street and Robin Hood and GameStop. Yes, that was my next like, question, talking about manipulated currency and manipulated stock markets. Would love your opinion on that It's one. awesome. It's awesome because, look, I'm sure there's some people involved in this who have been very smart and they'll do very well and they'll make a ton of cash. But the little guy and gal won. Like, who right. thought that the little guy and gal could ever beat a hedge fund? It's impossible. Like statistically, it is impossible. You cannot beat the people who own all the cards. It's like playing poker against someone who has got 47 of 48 of the cards and you're playing five card stud. You just can't (laughs) win. Right. So, and somehow, somehow it happened. And what that says is that this world is on the edge of a very beautiful revolution. And And the revolution I mean is a revolution of power and money where people don't have to fight against other people to take that back. They can go and make it for themselves. People have realized that now we're in a time where people can go out and do it. And I'm just really seizing that space in the early stage startup space and saying, we're going to find the greatest companies on the planet with entrepreneurs who have a fight to pick, who believe that they can go head to head with people with more money, more resources, more reserves, and more contacts, and they can win. And we want to support them doing that. It's interesting. You're very idealistic, but you're an idealistic capitalist. Does that make sense? 
<laughs> yeah, I am. I'm, I, I truly am a conscious capitalist. I don't believe in nonprofit. Mm-hmm. I think nonprofit is is it, the, the challenge is you can't help people if you're poor, right? You right. have to be from. You have to, and I mean, you can, right? And by the way, I mean that with tremendous respect. There's some of wonderful course, people in the in the nonprofit world, and they do incredible things. But you want to try and help people from a position of power, and if you can do that, like take Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. What a beautiful foundation! And, and people can talk about how you know some things may have gone well and other things may have gone badly. But who cares? They're using the incredible financial strength that they have to be able to change the world for the better. And if we could multiply that by a thousand, imagine the type of world that we'd be able to create. So I absolutely believe in conscious capitalism. I think there can be a win-win scenario. Everything doesn't have to be, you know, a net zero where there has to be one horrible loser and and just and one or two, you know, massive winners. And that world is is not a million not a million miles away from us. We talked about the uh, the Robin Hood uh, stock market situation. Now, a lot of those hedge funds are looking for a bailout. They and the conversation of bit too big to fail is now kind of re-emerging. Uh, perspective on that? So yeah, the world hasn't changed. <laughs> the world hasn't <laughs> changed. Right? It's just given us a tiny window of opportunity that we never had before. Politicians are still terribly corrupt and they don't even know how corrupt they are like the, just everything everything about the entire political and i don't i don't actually like any of the parties in any of the countries because i think that it's generally led by people who are slightly less capable than most people who are in the <laughs> private sector and then as they get more and more involved and more and more into power they don't even realize what's happening to them so i try and stay away from them as much as i possibly can but but we still live in a very unjust world the only thing that's happened is we have small windows now and those small windows give us tremendous arsenals of weapons that we can come out and whether that is large groups of people that are able to drive share prices because they say no more whether and some of those people are they make me look like I'm not even close to idealistic um, or whether it's whether it's other founders who are in Africa or in India who are saying like I don't understand why should there only be three unicorns in Africa if we right. have the largest growing middle class on the planet if we have the fastest growing population on the planet and the one of the quickest growing median incomes on the planet like why shouldn't africa have 40 50 60 unicorns and if it's somewhere like africa why should that be modeled on the us where the only people who get those unicorns are rich people why shouldn't it be great people building phenomenal technologies so these equalizers these windows that i call them can be something as simple as the fact that someone who went to a comprehensive school and taught themselves coding is able to actually build a deep data tech or an AI or machine learning that's able to pull elements of data out that makes payment processing more valuable or or, or simpler to do. And if that's possible, can that company become a unicorn? Absolutely. So yes, I think we've great opportunities and we want to be right on the forefront of where it's happening. Brian, you're making my job so easy. We're going to take another quick break, and then I want to get down to a little bit more of the tactical application and the reasoning behind why companies should get involved with an early stage accelerator, specifically, of course, with Expert Dojo. So stay tuned. 
enjoying the episode? I certainly hope so, but we have no way to know unless you tell us. After this episode, please leave us a review on your podcast app of choice and let us know what you love and what you want to hear next. This podcast is all about you and how else are we going to elevate your brand unless you talk to us? I'm sitting and chatting with Brian McMahon, CEO of Expert Dojo. I just love this conversation. First of all, like I keep saying, you're making my job real easy because you've got, you're so opinionated and passionate and articulate. And I, you know, those are the three things we look for in a guest. I love it. Um, so we've talked a little bit about, you know, what's going on in terms of uh, diversity and traction and currency manipulation and the stock market issues and all these interesting things. I want to take it back to Expert Dojo and focus on you know, what it is that you're really providing for these companies. So first of all, what is an accelerator at its core and why is Expert Dojo leading the, the, the pack? So I'm not sure. You, you mentioned just before the break, like why should folks go to Expert Dojo? And there are many folks who shouldn't go to Expert Dojo. There are many folks who are able <laughs> to do this stuff themselves, right? So um, so if I, if I maybe look and say, what are the barriers to somebody building a billion dollar company? And the first barrier is Mm -hmm. not everybody should want to build a billion dollar company because once you go down the road of venture capital, would you go down with me or with any other accelerator or any any other venture capitalist? Like once you go down that road, you are going down a road where raising money becomes more important than building a great company. Those folks, even Mm -hmm. if traction is important at the beginning, you have to be a master fundraiser because you have to be able to continue that traction. This is a game of speed. Now, as you do that, the more money that you raise, the more your company would be diluted. This is like pouring, this is like taking concentrate orange and pouring a, mm-hmm. a pint or a liter of water into the concentrate oranges and then another one and then another one and another one and another one. And that's what happens to your shareholding. There's more orange in the container, but the orange is more diluted. So you're holding, your company can be worth a billion dollars, but you may only have 5 or 10% of your company left by the time your company becomes a billion dollar company. And those people who are going to share with you are financial people who may or may not have helped your company grow. So as a founder, think very carefully because it's not as perfect as, you, as it seems. And actually just a very quick example, if you take Lyft, one of the founders of Lyft, the main founder of Lyft, has got less than 1% of their own company. So yes, they're worth 30, 40 billion dollars, but less than 1% is 300 million dollars and 300 million probably 200 million dollars and then take away tax and it's 100 million dollars and you may say well 100 million dollars is a lot of money and I would say not for one of the biggest private companies in the entire country. Was right. it worth it, right? So for many of you when you look at this choice and you say do I really want to do this? If you can build a real company, a company that's just based on building revenue and growth and EBITDA, and you can build it up to a couple of million dollars a month, God bless you. That's what you should. You can own 100% of that company and borrow money from the bank so you can leverage yourself all the way up. God bless you. Take exactly that and then don't bother with the likes of me or anybody else and just build a great company <laughs> and then have, have summer holidays in Cancun or Playa del Carmen or wherever the heck you want to go because you'll be able to buy a little island in the future. But if you decide, no, I want to build a company which has the ability to generate up to $10 million or more in monthly revenue or have tens of millions of users, if that's what I want to do, then 
I want to make sure that I go through a, a fundraising process that's going to give me the best opportunity to get there. Now, the statistics are that only 4% of all, of, of all American companies will ever reach $100,000 in revenue every month. Only 10% of that 4% will reach a million dollars a month, and only 10% of that 4%, of that 10% will reach $10 million a month in revenue, which means your chances are in the thousands one in the thousands of actually being mm. able to get to becoming a unicorn. So the more help that you can get on the way, the better. Sometimes that help is advisors. Sometimes that help is people who've done it before. Sometimes it's accelerators. And sometimes it's just having a great team who know exactly what you're doing. Now, an accelerator sits at the very beginning of that process normally. And people would go to an accelerator. They used to go to Y Combinator and they still do. And, and Airbnb sure. went to Y Combinator, right? And then they came in and Y Combinator gave them a little bit of money. And then they, at the beginning, they introduced them to investors. And the model of an accelerator used to be kind of a Tinder for investors and, and mentors. <laughs> it's like you swipe right, mm -hmm. you swipe left. And then hopefully, if you're lucky, an investor is going to put money in your company. Our belief in the accelerator program is that we need to evolve beyond that. And startups don't just need introductions anymore. They need Sherpas. They need guides to help them up Everest because that's what they're going to do. So we build in growth hacking programs, vision programs, branding programs. You are a valuable part of our marketing program that we do over oh, in the dojo. You. And we want to make sure that we support these guys, right? And then around that, we have growth hacking teams and we have investment teams and we have all other types of people all to help the startups grow and become really, really strong. So some folks need that and some folks don't. Like I'll have people who come in and say, Brian, I know lots of investors. I'm in really good shape. I have a great team. We've done this before. I know where I'm going. I'm, I'll say, God bless you. Great. Here's a couple of names and some people to call. You do not need an accelerator to do it. But there's other people who are struggling with branding, struggling with marketing, struggling with the team. Maybe their technology or their product fit isn't quite right. And for those people, accelerators are really good. Um, and then they go through the rest of the stages where they raise money for their seed and raise money for their Series A and their B and their C. And if everything goes well and a good following wind between seven and 12 years, then they build up a billion dollar company. And for some of those people, we hope to be with them on the journey. And for others, we hope that they'll make it there anyway. I love it. Well, we've only got a few minutes left. I can't believe how fast this time has <laughs> gone. Um, so in those last few minutes, I want to uh, flip the script and ask some personal questions, mm -hmm. if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. So the first question is, what is your cocktail of choice during COVID uh, if you drink? I don't know if you drink or not. So let me tell you. You are stereotyping here. Now, it just so happens you are stereotyping <laughs> correctly. <laughs> so, so you're okay, right? Um, and I can tell you, as an Irish guy, I'm even more of a stereotype than you're saying here. Like, you will see me sitting in Ireland with a pint of Guinness. And if you're going to make it into a cocktail, the only thing you have to do is put a cherry on top of the Guinness, and then it's just become a cocktail. Right? So that's it. And, and can I tell you what's happened to me in COVID? The most incredible thing. Now, so I have, I, I was a pretty skinny guy growing up, but I, I do like my beer and I like to go out and meet with my buddies and have a couple of beers and like talk about just rubbish and crap that, um, that just people talk about when they go to the bar, but that gives me a little bit of a beer belly. And I had a little bit of a beer belly for quite a long time. So COVID came and I just haven't had any fun. There's no fun anymore. Oh, What's oh. the point? Like, and, and I mean, what am I going to do? Drink at home? Like, come on. And, and so there's something. Hey, don't knock until you've tried it. Well, man. look, so I'm just saying there's something very, there's, this is a very Irish thing, but, but Irish people will generally say, you know what? People who drink at home, they have a problem. Well, actually, people who drink in a bar can drink as much as they want. 
<laughs> because you yeah. know why? Because they're social. <laughs> so I've lost so about 25 pounds since COVID wow, has happened. That's amazing. Yeah, I actually think amazing. they should call it the COVID diet because I've lost so much friggin' weight since I haven't been able to go to a bar, a restaurant, or enjoy anything outside the house in, I don't even know how long well, it's been. I don't know what your secret is, but I certainly have not been on that diet. <laughs> um, okay, so your drink of choice would be a Guinness. Mm-hmm. Um, what is um, the one thing you couldn't live without during COVID? My startups. I love my startups. Like this is, these are my babies. So mm. yeah, I couldn't live without this. I love this stuff. I get up five. I get up four thirty in the morning. My first call is at five o'clock in the morning, and I'm right in the I'm right in the middle of battle from then until whenever I finish at night. So yeah, this is my uh, this is my heroin. Is that, is, <laughs> is that a good last analogy? Last personal question. <laughs> totally, totally. Uh, last question. What is your favorite word and why? This could be something that's really personal to you, or something that just pops into your head. I'm so pathetic because everything for me, like the, the, you, every personal question you ask me ends up back at Expert Dojo again. But I just love the word execution. I get, you know, in time after living on this planet for so long, I just get so tired of the BS and people who've done like a one month degree somewhere talking about how they're an expert in such and such. And it's like, come on, just give me great executors. There's nothing mm. more beautiful. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a poem from Oscar Wilde. When I see <laughs> somebody who just gets down, has a task to do, and finishes that task in the most efficient, brilliant, and beautiful and seamless way, and then comes out the other side, my task of choice is taking startups from where they are now to where they want to go in the future. But I love when people can do that. So execution, execution, execution. I love it. I love it. Well, before we wrap things up, if you could just share how people can get in touch if they feel like this might be a good fit for them. And then any final words of wisdom? Yeah. So, so first of all, for any of the life coaches or, or other coaches who want to call me, <laughs> you should call Don't. 911. <laughs> <laughs> for everybody else who doesn't want to hurt me, then you can call me. You can email me at brian at expertdojo.com. And that's E-X-P-E-R-T-D-O-J-O.com. And even if you're looking to, if you have an application for an investment, I'm happy if you send it through to me and I'll make sure one of the guys gets it directly. So you don't need to go through the application process just because you're on Laurel's show. And what was the last question? Uh, final final words of wisdom. wisdom. Yeah, just live a life worth living. You know, I'm very fortunate. I've been very fortunate in life in that I chose the life I wanted and I went and I, I traveled to places and I worked really hard to make sure that I went from one place to the next, the next, the next. But I would say up until this point, I I managed to make sure that I went through it in a way that was very meaningfully meaningful and happy for me. Now I'm in a whole different path. Now I'm in a... I'm in a, a war for purpose and it's a beautiful place to be. So my advice just to everybody is if you can find your purpose in your life, grab hold of that sucker and don't let go because it's a life worth living. I love it. Well, clearly you're living a life worth living, Brian. Thank you so, so much for being on the show today. My pleasure. You're awesome. And we're going to keep on doing great stuff over at the dojo. I can't wait. And thanks for everyone who tuned in. Stay tuned for more Elevate Your Brand coming up next. Thank you.